Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in ancient Egypt, people believed that after death, the soul would appear before Osiris to be judged. And in the presence of Anubis, the jackal-headed god, the dead person would declare their innocence, and they would say, I have not committed sin. I have not uttered lies. I have wronged none. I have done no evil. And so they would go on sometimes for 40 or 42 sayings like that, and they would conclude by saying, I am pure. I am pure. I am pure. And as they were speaking to the gods, their heart was weighed against a feather in the scales. And if the heart was lighter than the feather, this meant that it was sinless enough for them to enter into the Egyptian afterlife. And if the heart was heavy with the record of many sins, then they would be devoured on the spot by the monster god Amit, who was there looking on. So the ancient Egyptians believed that you could enter eternal life based on your own good works. If you lived a good life, you would be good enough, you would be righteous enough to dwell in paradise. If you were not good, you would be shut out of eternal life. And so it all depended on you. It all depended on what you did. It all depended on your good works. Your good works were your righteousness before the gods. Your good works were your justification. And this is a common thread. It runs through all false religions and it runs through all false versions of Christianity. That life and justification can be earned by what you do, works righteousness. Now, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only place where you will never hear that lie. You will never hear that man can contribute, either wholly or in part, that man can contribute to his own salvation. The biblical teaching about righteousness by faith in Christ is radically different from and radically opposed to every human attempt to gain salvation by their own merit. And one elderly believer from the time of the secession in the 1800s said it very well when he said, if I had to contribute only one breath to my salvation, I would be eternally lost. The gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ is offensive to fallen man. It confronts us with the fact that we have nothing to offer God, that we have nothing to bring before God and to say to God, you owe us something. For arrogant sinners, this is too much. We find it humiliating. And so we want to do something. We want to earn something. We want to merit something. And you see in Lord's Day 24 how the sinner's total dependence upon God's sovereign grace is kind of grating for the questioner in the catechism. He asks, but why? But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? 
Now, it's good to ask questions, and we should encourage questions. And sometimes the question reveals something about the questioner. And in this case, the question reveals that the questioner needs to grow in understanding God's perfect and infinite holiness. And he also needs to grow in understanding the total depravity and wretchedness into which we were plunged at the fall. The questioner has to go back to the first part of the catechism and review, because these things have been dealt with. If we know who God is, and if we know who we are, then we know that we don't have the remotest chance of bringing to God a righteousness which can stand before his judgment. We know who we are. We know we cannot present to God a perfect and sinless life. We know that we cannot come before God and say, I have kept the law in every detail, in every situation, in every moment of my life. And when we know God's holiness, and we know our sinfulness, then we know what will happen if we demand that God give us what we deserve. What awaits us if we say, God, give us justice and give it now? Well, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Galatians 3.10 as he quotes the Old Testament, he says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Anyone who does not have a perfect life without one sin is under God's curse. And so it's pretty obvious that our good works can never be enough for us to be totally righteous before God. Okay, but what about the second part of the question? Can't they contribute at least something? Don't we bring at least a little bit of righteousness to the table? After all, we sometimes do manage to do some pretty good things, right? Don't they count for anything? The nice words we speak, the nice actions we do, sometimes the sacrifices we make for others, aren't they worth anything? And it is certainly true that in this life we can and must do good works. Later on in the Catechism, in Lord's Days 32 and 33, the church confesses the scriptural teaching about why we should do works and, and what the biblical definition of good works is. So we'll leave that for a few weeks' time. But right here in Lord's Day 24, we're focusing on this question. What is the value of our good works in justification? Can our good works contribute to our righteousness before God? And the short answer is they can't. They simply can't. When it comes to our justification, even the very best, the nicest, the most holy things we do in this life fall way short of God's perfect standard of holiness. Now remember, the Bible does not say that good works are useless in general or worthless in general. The Bible teaches that our good works are useless and worthless when it comes to our justification, specifically in that context. That's where they have no worth. Put simply, 
There's no way even the best thing we do can take away the guilt of even one tiny little sin. What does the scripture say? Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Did you hear that? That's pretty strong language. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It's pretty strong in English. It's even stronger if you think about what it says literally. Literally, it says, all our righteous deeds are like a garment of menstruation. That was a powerful thing to say to the Old Testament people of God because a woman who was menstruating was ceremonially unclean. She could not come near to the temple to worship God. First, she had to go through this waiting period and then through these rituals prescribed for her purification. So what the prophet is saying is this. When it comes to earning the right to enter into the presence of God, our righteous deeds fall so far short that we might as well be wearing polluted clothing stained with menstrual blood. We're simply in no state or condition to be received into the presence of a holy God based on our own works. And so that's why our good works can't buy us our righteousness before God. Because God is holy, holy, holy. And we are not, period. Well, says the questioner, what are good works good for then? I mean, doesn't God tell us in the Bible that he rewards our good works? What about that? Sure sounds like they're worth something. Sure, says the catechism. Good works are a thing, they do exist, They are part of the Christian life, but they are not the cause of justification. They are the consequence of justification. They're not the the root of justification, but they're the fruit of justification. And because they are the fruit of God's sovereign work in us, God gets the glory. If it pleases him to reward in us the good works that he has worked in us and through us, then we have no cause to boast in ourselves. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We can't come to the judgment seat of God at the last day with a big invoice of all the good things we've done, all the good works, and say, God, you owe me this much for all the good things I've done. There's no way. You see, just like justification, which means our being declared righteous before God, So sanctification, our being made holy, are gifts of God's sovereign grace. You see that in what the apostle writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2. If you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 8 for a moment. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. That's on page 976 in many ESV Bibles. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so that's pretty clear. We're saved by grace through faith, 
And this is God's sovereign work. This is God's gracious gift. Our justification is a gift. Our faith is a gift. God gets all the glory. And then let's get reading in, in, in chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you see that? God looks upon lost, dead, unworthy sinners like us. He plucks us from the abyss. He showers us with his love and grace. He saves us. And this is all a gift of sovereign grace. All we need to do is simply believe to have faith. And even that faith, he gives it to us. And then, when we know God is our salvation, when we know Christ is our righteousness, then we get to be who we have been recreated to be in Christ Jesus. We get to walk in good works. And now, which good works? Well, what does it say? The works, the good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that means that our justification is a work of God's sovereign grace, and our sanctification is a work of God's sovereign grace. And the amazing thing is that God will crown his work in us. We have nothing to demand. We have nothing to claim. Even if we would do everything that has been commanded us, we can only say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. But nevertheless, it pleases God to reward the good works that he has worked in us and through us. And Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so Paul knows that any good that he does, he could only do through the renewing and sanctifying power of the Spirit of Christ in him. And he gives God all the glory. And because of the righteousness that he has in Christ, and because of the righteousness which the Spirit of God works in him and through him in that sovereign work of sanctification, Paul can say what he says to Timothy, in, <coughs> excuse me please, in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Paul can look forward to a gracious reward upon the works that he has done in and through the power of God. Beloved, if it depended on us, we would only have a fearful expectation of judgment. But because it depends on the grace of God, we know that our justification is certain and secure in Christ. It is a sovereign work of God's grace. And we know that our sanctification is pleasing to God because it is certain and secure in Christ. It is a sovereign work of God's grace. 
You know, for a lot of people, this sounds terribly dangerous. How are you going to keep people in line if they're not afraid that they'll lose out on heaven if they're not good enough? You see, that's a very good way to control people. If you don't do this and say this and think this, and if you don't stay within the lines, then God won't love you. Then you're going to go to hell. Then God won't accept you into heaven if you don't follow the rules of the church. And I've seen that with my own eyes when I worked with people in South America who had been in the grip of a false Christianity of works righteousness. They thought they had to earn their way into heaven and because they thought they had to earn their way into heaven, they were so careful. They were careful not to do bad things and to say bad things. They were so meticulous about everything. They were incredibly legalistic and moralistic. And they worked, and they sweated, and they labored to live lives which they considered holy and pleasing to God because they were deathly afraid that they weren't good enough to get into heaven. And I think of one brother who later on came to know the true gospel and would tell me that he would stand there sometimes in the shower in the morning just weeping and saying, God, please, Jesus, don't come back yet. Don't come back yet. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not good enough yet to face your judgment. And then they discovered the gospel. And they discovered God's sovereign grace. And they learned that it is not by works, but by grace. And then you know what happened? Some of them, having learned about salvation by grace, started to live careless and worldly and sinful lives. You see, they figured, I can't earn my way into heaven. Jesus did it all, so now I can give in to all the lusts and sins that I secretly embraced in my heart before but I didn't dare to practice when I was a legalist. But now I'm free to sin because nothing I can do can change God's eternal decrees. Now these people fell from the frying pan of legalism into the fire of antinomianism. They fell from legalism into lawlessness and they went from one false gospel to another. Now the catechism dismisses this foolish delusion with a simple affirmation of basic biblical truth in the last question and answer there of our Lord's Day. If you are united to Christ, you can't possibly keep loving sin and keep living in sin. The two are mutually exclusive. You either love sin or you love Christ. If someone enjoys sin and embraces sin and and nurtures sin, and insists on continuing in sin, then they can have the whole catechism memorized from back to front, but they are rushing towards eternal damnation. Because the Bible says that when we are in Christ, then that will make a difference in our life. It will show. And we read, didn't we? We read John chapter 15, some of the first verses in that chapter. And the Lord Jesus compares himself to a vine and us to the branches. And if you look at chapter 15, verse 5 for a moment, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you have your Bible open, check out verse 3 for a moment. That's on page 901 in the ESV. Verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And that's justification right there. That's the righteousness we have by faith. The word I have spoken to you, God speaks the word to us. The Spirit regenerates our hearts, gives us the gift of faith so we can believe, so we can embrace the word of God. And when we embrace the word of God, when we embrace Christ, who is the word of God, when we embrace him by faith, then we are clean. We are righteous. We are united with him. We are grafted into him. We're not just some dead branch lying on the ground, but we are connected in a living way to the vine. We belong to him. We live in him. His life, his spirit, his love, they flow into us and fill us and flow through us. And that has consequences. Look again at verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, when there is that connection... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. He it is that bears much fruit. Are you? Are you bearing much fruit? Dear brother and sister, the answer to this question is the same as the answer to the question are you righteous before God? In Christ, yes, but only in Christ. Now, what does this mean practically? It means that when I feel depressed because of my sins, when I feel guilty, when I feel unworthy, then I take hold of the gospel and I run to the Lord Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I don't try to fix things myself. I don't try to be better or to think better, or to do better, or to talk better. But I seek my life outside of myself in Jesus Christ. I seek my righteousness, my justification in him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. That's the gospel. And then, when I look at my life, and I'm depressed because I wish I was a better Christian, I wish I was way more holy, I wish I was way more advanced in sanctification. You ever had that? Those of us who are older maybe have it worse. Look back in our lives. How many sermons have we heard? How many times have we read through the scriptures? How much have we learned about God and about his goodness and his grace in the Lord Jesus Christ? How many worship services have we been in? How many psalms have we sung? And yet how slow we are to grow in holiness. We can sometimes think, wow, why does God bother with me? I just wish I was way more holy. You know, brother and sister, when we're not satisfied with our own progress and sanctification, then the answer is not to try harder, to sweat more, to agonize and work to be better. That's not how it works. No. Instead, I run to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my righteousness, and he is also my sanctification. He is my holiness. 
And I have been grafted into him by true faith, not by any good things that I have done or I am doing or will do, but I am grafted into him by faith. And now because of that living connection, he lives in me, I live in him. And because I am connected to him, I am united with him. I know that I will experience in ever greater measure the power of his Holy Spirit in me causing me to produce an abundance of fruit, a glorious display of the holy fruits of thankfulness. So stop trying so hard, child of God. Rest in Christ and his finished work. Rest in Christ and the ongoing work of his spirit in you. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the heart. Yes, Osiris and all those other Egyptian gods are just fake. They're made up. But the true God weighs the heart. He knows the secret thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows every idle word we have spoken. He knows every deed that we have committed. And for those who are outside of Christ and must be judged based on their merit and their works, this is a terrifying thing. But for those who believe, for those who are in Christ, this fills us with joy and a certainty and assurance. Because when God weighs our heart, And when God brings our life and thoughts and words into judgment, what will come before him is who we are in Christ. And who we are in Christ is this, that we are men and women and children perfectly righteous, that have never committed any sin, and that have, on the contrary, done every good thing and fulfilled every law of God all the time. Perfectly, through our entire life. That's how God sees us in Christ. And that's why it's so important to be found in him. And so this is the question the Holy Spirit confronts us with today, beloved. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? If you're counting on getting to heaven by being good, and by doing good, and by thinking good things, and by saying good things, then you are in for a terrifying surprise. And I want to I stop here and emphasize how natural this is to us. I, I find that I've asked my own children as they've grown up, and they're, they're little children, they've heard the gospel in church, and they've heard the gospel at home as well, and at school and teaching. And if you ask a child... How are you going to get into heaven? Why would God receive you to heaven? What do you have to do? And often you will hear a works righteousness answer. You will hear, well, you've got to go to church. You've got to pray. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to be good. You've got to not sin. Ask your children. Ask your children that question. You'll be surprised at how often the gospel hasn't penetrated yet. They're not able, or perhaps it has, but they're not able to to articulate it properly. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we've got to work in our own hearts, but also work with our children so that they understand these things. It is a terrifying thing for any human being to come before God depending on their own works and their own merit. But if we come before God embracing Christ by faith, and if we live from Christ and in Christ and unto Christ, then we can say, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. I praise the God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine, my God, my joy, my light. Tis he who saveth me and freely pardon gives. I love because he loved me. I live because he lives. Amen.